Our text this week is about the subject of religion. And since that was our, our subject, what I do most weeks is I try to find the main subject, then I go to Google. And I just Google quotes about religion. And so here are some of the ones I found. I don't think you'll like them. But you will probably know the people who said them. First one is the Dalai Lama. As you may know, he is Buddhist. He said this, All the world's major religions, with their emphasis on love, compassion, patience, tolerance, and forgiveness, can and do promote inner values. But the reality of the world today is that grounding ethics in religion is no longer adequate. That is why I am increasingly convinced that the time has come to find a way of thinking about spirituality and ethics beyond all religions. And that's a Buddhist. Well, here's an Anglican. This is Desmond Tutu from South Africa. When the missionaries came to Africa, they had the Bible and we had the land. They said, let us pray. We closed our eyes. When we opened our eyes, we had the Bible and they had our land. And as you may know, that's what happened in China in a huge way, resulting in the Boxer Rebellion. This is a Roman Catholic. Years ago, Blaise Pascal. Men never do evil so completely and cheerfully as when they do it with religious conviction. 9-11. Those were probably religious people who pulled off that evil stunt. This is an atheist, Karl Marx. Religion is the opiate of the masses. There's another atheist, Friedrich Nietzsche. I call Christianity the one great curse, the one great instinct, intrinsic depravity, the one great instinct of revenge, for which no means are venomous enough or secret, subterranean and small enough. I call Christianity the one immortal blemish upon the human race. Well, let's turn to a Hindu. This is Mohandas Gandhi. I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ, said Gandhi. Here's another one. Without religion, we'd have good people doing good things and evil people doing evil things. But for good people to do evil things, that takes religion. This is the great songwriter and pianist, Sir Elton John. From my point of view, I would ban religion completely. Organized religion doesn't seem to work. It turns people into hateful lemmings and is not really compassionate. Here's the, the atheist Richard Dawkins. When one person suffers from a delusion, it's called insanity. When many people suffer from a delusion, it's called religion. And here's the last one, Gore Vidal. He obviously is maybe a good writer, but he's quite ignorant. He wrote this. Once people get hung up on theology, they are lost to sanity forever. 
More people have been killed in the name of Jesus Christ than any other name in the history of the world. That isn't even remotely true because far, far, far more people have been killed in the name of atheism, communism, than all other conflicts combined because that number is well over 100 million people are dead in the name of atheism and communism in the history of the world. So he doesn't know his facts, but he makes an interesting statement. In today's text of Scripture, the Apostle Paul is going to lay out about as clearly as you could ever do it the difference between religion and the righteousness of God. Now, we as Christians are people who I hope you believe that we are not religious people. I'm not. I would not call myself a religious person, though most people would. If I'm a pastor, they say you got to be religious. I don't put myself in that category personally. I put myself in the category as one who is the recipient of the righteousness of God, which is quite different than religion. And we're going to see today the contrast between these two, religion and the righteousness of God, about as clearly as you can. Now, by the way, I I think you probably know that people in our world today, for all you hear in the news, people in the world today are, are hugely religious. There are very, very few irreligious people in the world today. Just go by the numbers. These are round figure numbers. There's something like 2.2, 2.3 billion people who call themselves Christians. There's 1.9 billion people in our world who call themselves Muslims. There's 1 billion people in our world today who call themselves Hindus. There's 500 million people in our world today who call themselves Buddhists. You just do the math. You're dealing right there with the four religions over three quarters of the world's population, just in these four religions. And that's not to mention the other hundreds and hundreds of world religions that we have in our world. People are overwhelmingly religious. However, the Bible is going to tell us, and the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans, that religion is actually a dead-end street. And in fact, it's worse than that. It is, as Blaise Pascal has said, people never do evil quite so horribly as when they do it from religious conviction. We will see that that is somewhat true. But the righteousness of God is something totally different. And we're going to see the contrast in sharp lines today. So if you have your Bibles with me, we're going to start in Romans chapter 9, verse 30. And then we're going to turn to the, through the end of chapter 10. And one of the things you should always look through when you study a passage of the Bible is words that are repeated. Because generally, any author, by repeating words or phrases, will tell you what is the main point he or she is trying to make. And in this passage of Scripture, you're going to find the word righteousness appears ten times. So it is obviously the main point. Let's start with the first part. Chapter 9, verses 30 to 33. Here's what it says. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith. But the people of Israel who pursued the law as the way of righteousness have not attained their goal. Why not? Because they pursued it, not by faith, but as it were, by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, See, I lay in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who believes in him 
will never be put to shame. Now, in these verses, the Apostle Paul is going to figure a a chase, perhaps a race. And, And the race is a race toward righteousness, and righteousness simply means right standing with God, which people, whether you believe in God or not, I hope all people would say, if there is a God, I'd like to be in right standing with this God. And so the Apostle Paul says, there's a race going on. There's a pursuit going on. Did you see the word pursue? People are pursuing righteousness with God, right standing with God. But guess what? The people who pursued it faithfully didn't get it. They didn't find it. And the people who did not pursue it found it. That's really, really weird. Uh, That's not what you expect. It's just like um, uh, the tortoise and the hare. Uh, the Aesop's fable. You know, you got this real slow, slow, slow tortoise and this real, really, really fast hare. And of course, who's going to win a race? Well, the hare, of course. Uh Uh-uh. The tortoise wins. Well, it's kind of what it's saying here, but even more extreme. The Jewish people, Paul said, and these are, he's talking about himself. He's talking about his own people. We pursued the righteousness of God faithfully, but we didn't find it. The Gentiles, who are out to lunch, They're not even seeking the righteousness of God. They found it. What's going on here? This is crazy. Why should people who are looking for the righteousness of God not find it, and those who aren't looking for the righteousness of God find it? We said there's two problems. The two problems are, one, they took the wrong road. And number two, they stumbled over rocks in the road. Let's start with the wrong road. He said, if you're seeking righteousness with God, to stand in right with God, to be able to stand in the presence of God without it being evaporated, how do you do that? Well, Paul's own people and himself, in fact, that's where he gave his life to. You follow the law of God. That's how you get there. God gave us these commandments. The way you become right with God is you follow the laws of God. And they worked hard at that. But guess what? It doesn't work. Remember what the Apostle Paul has said so far in the book. Not only can no one do that because God's standard is perfection, but the problem with following the law is that the law actually increases your sin. It doesn't decrease it. So if you make, if you try to find right standing with God by following the rules and regulations, you will actually find yourself failing. Or worse, Lying to yourself and hypocrisy. You'll have to try to convince people we're doing really good when you know, in fact, you're not. Or you'll try to convince yourself that I'm really good doing good with God when, in fact, you're not. That's one route. The other route was a route by which you don't pursue faith, but actually you understand that God is pursuing you. And guess what you do? You say, oh, God, I don't know why you'd ever pursue me because I'm not much of a catch. But if you do, I'll I'll take it. I'll follow you. I'll I'll put my trust in you. Those who pursued it didn't find it. Those who didn't pursue it found it because they took different paths. But there was also a stone in the path. You see, in the Old Testament, it said over and over again that that the Jewish people are to look forward to a Messiah. 
And this Messiah would not only be a great king, but he would also be a suffering servant, one who would atone for the sins of people. And of course, the Jewish people expected this Messiah to be some great, powerful figure, born into great pomp and circumstance, one who followed all of their little made-up laws. And in fact, this peasant comes along who doesn't even have a human father. He's illegitimate. And he doesn't follow their laws. And he's poor. He's from the backwater part of the country. They said, you cannot be the Messiah. And so they fell right over him. And if you fall down in a race, you're not you're normally going to win. But the Gentiles said, whoa, this Jesus is the Messiah. And they found it. There was a, a Muslim who was a convert to Christianity, and he was asked by many other Muslims, he said, why would you convert from Islam to Christianity? And he said, well, the way I see it is this way. If, if you're going down a road, and you come to the, a fork in the road, and you don't know whether to go to the left or to the right, and at one of the forks is a person who's dead on the ground, and at the other fork, there's a person who's alive. Which one are you going to ask for directions? You're going to ask the live person. Jesus is alive. That's the centerpiece of Christianity, is the resurrection of Jesus. Who are you going to ask for directions if you come to a fork in a road? Somebody who's dead or somebody who's alive? So I'm going with the alive person. He begins with, there's two different routes to righteousness. One, the insiders, the people who had the inside lane in the race, they, they got onto the wrong path and they fell over the stones in the way and they didn't find what they were looking for. But this group of outsiders who didn't have these preconceived notions, who saw themselves as being in need of righteousness, they could never attain for themselves. They didn't fall over the stone. They saw that Jesus Christ was the cornerstone and the capstone puts everything together. And they pursued that and they picked the right road. But then he turns in the next verses, verses one to four in chapter 10, to something that is so common in our culture today. It was actually said in, in a Charles Schultz Peanuts cartoon once and it's said many times over, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are sincere. Have you heard that? So the real test of religiosity is not whether what you believe is true or not. What really matters is how sincere you are. And sincere, as you know, or being authentic is a huge buzzword in our culture today. It doesn't matter so much what is um absolute truth, what matters is what you feel about it, how deeply you feel about that, how much you pursue that, how zealous you are, how sincere you are, how authentic you are. Well, the Apostle Paul is going to nail that one now. He's going to talk about people who are zealous for righteousness. Look at what he says. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God. But their zeal is not based on knowledge. 
Since they did not know the righteousness of God, they sought to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness. Wow. And then and it goes on. Let's see the, the next one. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Now, this is Paul. Paul said he was raised in Judaism. He was extremely skilled in his understanding of the scriptures. He became an a rabbi. He became a rabbi whose mentor was the top Jewish rabbi in the world, Gamaliel. And he was the most zealous of all people that he ever knew in pursuing Judaism. So zealous that he believed in killing people for the cause of Judaism. We have people in our world that way. Look at the 9-11 bombers. Those people believed deeply and they were extremely zealous that if they died in the cause of a holy war, they get to go straight to paradise. They are zealous. So zealous they would give their lives. Paul was so zealous he would take people's lives. But zeal is not the most basic thing because you can be very zealous for things that are absolutely wrong and evil. And we have people in our world today numbering in the many, 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 many millions who are exceedingly zealous for things that are false. Well, actually, millions is not enough. We have people in our world today in the billions who are exceedingly zealous for things that are completely false. You see, the Jewish people's zeal and sincerity does not lead to salvation. Okay, let, let's try this out. Let's say you're a person who is suffering from some terrible malady and you go to the doctor. And the doctor says to you, well, you're sick. But it doesn't matter what kind of treatment you receive. You could take aspirin, you could take penicillin, you could take insulin, you could take chemo chemotherapy. They're all the same. Just as long as you're sincere. Take whatever you want and be sincere. You will be healed. You're going to go to that doctor? You be an idiot. No person on on in the whole world would go to such a doctor. Because you don't prescribe any, in or any, any or no medicine. Just say, hey, just be sincere that you're going to be healed and you'll be healed. That's nonsense. No. It's, sincerity doesn't matter one rip. What matters is what is true in the case of medicine, what is scientifically helpful for your body to heal the, the disease that you have. Um, there was a juxtaposition of things that happened in my life a few years ago that was stunning. I had just finished listening to the book called The Looming Tower. It's a Pulitzer Prize winning book. And it was about the, the path to 9-11. It, it charted in incredible detail the whole background of Osama bin Laden. What you may not know is that Osama bin Laden's families are, family is they're billionaires. They're some of the wealthiest people on earth. He grew up in a family of billionaires. 
But as this book chronicles his life, he was so committed to his cause, anti-Israel and anti-the West, that that man was basically living in a cave on bread and water because of his belief in his cause. Incredible zeal. At the very same time I finished that book, the next day, I was listening to a podcast of a very well-known Christian leader who was talking about how he had decided, he and his wife, to sell their home, a substantial home apparently, and downsize a little bit so that they could give more money to missions. And of course, everyone (laughs) clapped. And I would clap. That's a good thing to do. But when I saw the juxtaposition between Osama bin Laden and this denominational leader, Osama bin Laden's sacrifice was 100,000 times greater than this Christian leader. You see, what sets us apart is not that we're more zealous for God, for in fact, the truth is, as Christians, we stink. We are not very zealous for God, which is sad because we believe in the true and living God. And there are people who believe in absolute nonsense, garbage, and evil who are far more zealous than we are. So the Apostle Paul says, no, it is not your level of zeal. It's, it, it, it's, it's not how sincere you are. It's the substance of what you believe in that matters. For if you're exceedingly zealous, but what you believe in is not true, the net result is going to be bad, not good. So the difference is not in religions is not how zealous you are, but how true to reality what you believe really is. Well, then the Apostle Paul now is going to turn He's going to talk about how zeal is not the answer. It's not how sincere you are, but he's going to talk about these these two very different routes to righteousness. He's going to contrast them. Look at verse 5. Moses writes about this righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. He's just quoting Leviticus 18. So if you choose the righteousness according to the law, this is your standard. Perfection. That's your standard. Some weeks ago when I was here, I told you there are two routes to righteousness. I still stand by that. There are two ways to get to heaven. One is live a perfect life. And the other is put your trust in the one who lived a perfect life. Those are your two choices. The problem with the first choice is... (laughs) You can't do it. No one can do it. It's impossible. That's why the only true hope we have of right right standing with God is that we would receive a righteousness that we don't deserve. That's what Christianity is all about. Well, then it goes on. But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the deep? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? And again, he's quoting the Old Testament. The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. 
So he says, though through Christ, he, he brought God down to earth and then through, that's his incarnation, and then through his resurrection, he brought us up from the dead. And by Christ's coming to this earth, incarnation, by his death, his atonement, and his resurrection, God brought us to heaven. That is God's route to righteousness. And it is available to everyone. Righteousness, according to the law, is not available to everyone. For first of all, you've got to know what the laws are. And by the way, there's 613 of them in the Old Testament um, law of Moses. And you have to obey all of those perfectly to have any hope of heaven, which is impossible. God says, no, no, it's much nearer than that. You don't have to ascend to heaven or go down to the, the, the earth. Jesus came down and then he went up. He provided for us what we could not provide for ourselves. You see, there are two potential routes to righteousness. Perfect obedience to God's law or humble acceptance of God's grace. Doing your own righteousness or having the righteousness of God given to us as a gift. Dishonestly convincing yourself of your goodness or honestly acknowledging one's need of God's salvation. Those are our choices, and we get to choose. But what do we choose? Next, he's going to show us what are the requirements of righteousness. What does it take for a person to be saved or to have right standing with God? These are verses 9 to 13. And you probably know these verses because we said them this morning. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. The word Lord is used in the, in the Bible 6,000 times to refer to God. 6,000. And did you see what that passage just said? If you confess with your mouth, who? Who is Lord? Jesus is Lord. So what is it saying? If you confess with your mouth, Jesus, this human being, this historical character who came down to this earth, Jesus is Lord. He's God. And you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's it. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, this is the gospel that I preach to you. Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he was raised the third day according to the scriptures. This week I was at a, a gathering. It was a, a picnic and uh, I was at a table with this woman, and she, we were talking for a while. And then the question that always comes up that I always dread, she did it. 
She said, well, what work do you do? <laughs> now, you people have it easy. I got, I got a, I'm in trouble on this one. Because when they ask you, you say, oh, I'm an engineer. It's, oh, nice. Or I'm a nurse. Nice. I'm a teacher. Nice. You're a minister. What? I said, I'm, I'm a minister. <laughs> I didn't. I told her straight. Well, she said, well, hmm. I'm an atheist, she said. said oh, nice. This is going to be great. <laughs> and then she said, oh, I'm a, I am, and then she had this long string of things. I'm against most everything you believe in. And I said, okay, I kind of knew that. <laughs> so what do you do? What would you do if you're in my shoes? Here you just came out as one of those horrible people called a minister, and she is an atheist. What do you do? I didn't know what to do, by the way, and I'm no better than anyone else. But I said, you know, to me, I have only one thing that matters to me, and that's Jesus. Jesus said, yeah, I, I, I think he was a real person. I said, yeah, check any historian that's of any value. They know he's a real person. And I said, my center, from which everything I believe it goes out, it's, it's my center is Jesus, and my center of my center is that Jesus was raised from the dead. She said, well, I don't believe that. She said, but I like you. I said, oh, good. Thank you. That's better than hating me for what I said. But that's the center. And I don't know what, you know, I, I don't think it was by accident that I sat across the table from this woman. I don't think that's by accident. And that she found out horrors of horrors that I'm a minister. But the key is, what are you going to do with Jesus? And what per at the center is of his resurrection. That's the centerpiece of our faith. Because she told me, she said, I believe when we die, we just go back to the chemicals of the earth. And I said, I believe there's one who rose from the dead, never to die again. She said, oh, good, we have a difference of opinion. So yeah, we do. That's okay. But I, I think I'm going to go with mine. Here's what someone wrote, Warren Wearsby. They misunderstood their own law. Everything about the Jewish religion pointed to the coming Messiah. Their sacrifices, the priesthood, the temple services, the religious festivals, the covenants. Instead of letting the law bring them to Christ, they worshipped the law and rejected their Savior. Please don't worship the law. If you worship the law, it will turn you into a dishonest, hypocritical, very sad person. Because you won't succeed. We need a savior. And that's Jesus. Well, not only do we need a savior, but if, if in fact the right standing with God is based on an acceptance of this thing the Bible calls good news, how does that work? Well, the Apostle Paul's going to tell us. So this is how it works. Here we go. How then can they call on one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one in whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can, they, can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? 
Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word of Christ. But I ask, did they hear or did they not hear? Of course they did. Their voice has gone out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. So the apostle Paul says, did my people hear? Yes, they did hear. How? Well, here's how it happens. God sends a messenger. Now, God's main messengers to bring them to good news are us. We're the ones. He's given that task to us. But we're not the only ones. Because um, remember, one of those examples in the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit told Philip to, to get out, to get, go from where he was, and he saw this guy in a chariot, extremely high, like the secretary of the treasury in Ethiopia, who was reading Isaiah. And Philip then told him the gospel, and he accepted Jesus and was baptized. Some people um, have, have an angelic messenger, or even Jesus himself. Remember, the apostle Paul is on his way to Damascus to arrest and kill Christians. And Jesus, out of the sky, calls his name. Saul, what are you doing? So who are you? I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. Who? sorry. So Jesus himself was the messenger there. In our world today, we have many stories that and angels. In, in, the, in the New Testament, in the Gospels, we have angels and visions and dreams, which it seems God is using today. Those are the messengers. God's got a million different ways to get the gospel out. But then, once a messenger tells the good news, they, it, it, first of all, the messenger has to be sent, and then the messenger must communicate the good news. All I did this week with this woman is saying, my centerpiece is Jesus, and my center of the center is his resurrection from the dead. That's all I did. Was that the whole gospel? No, but it was the heart. It was the heart of the gospel. And now it's, then what happens? Then the recipient who hears the message must hear it and understand it. And then those who have heard and understand the message call on the name of the Lord. That's how it happens. And that's how it happened for us. Somebody was sent by God. And I think that in our world today, the Holy Spirit is incessantly prompting us to share Jesus with people. We're not good at it. In fact, I, I regret what I'm like. But the Holy Spirit wants us to be communicators. And then we communicate that message, and then it's out of our hands. It's in the hands of the person who hears that. They understand and they believe the gospel. Well, the Apostle Paul began with the irony of the people who pursued righteousness, who didn't find it, and those who did not pursue righteousness, who found it. He's going to come back to that theme as he ends this chapter. Let's see what he said. Again, I ask did Israel not understand? Well, first Moses says, I will make you envious by those who are not a nation. I will make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. And Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. 
I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. But concerning Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and an obstinate people. Um, what an irony. Can you imagine? Can you imagine, let's say, it's a high school class, and in the high school class, you got got everyone from your A students to your F students in the same class. And the, the, the teacher gives out a test, and then you receive your class, your, your test back, and all of the F students got A's, and all the A students got F's. <laughs> Wait, it's not supposed to work that way. Well, maybe what the test was testing was not your intellectual ability, but your arrogance. Maybe what God is not looking for as much as our good moral character, which none of us have, ultimately. But he's looking at, are you honest with your own soul? Are you humble enough to realize you do not meet God's standards? And are you trusting enough to believe that God, in his grace, would give to you a gift you do not deserve? The irony is, many times those who pursue it most diligently don't find it. And those who don't, do. Why not? Ultimately, the, some of the most difficult people to reach with the gospel are people who don't believe they need God. They've already got it made in the shade religiously. They follow the five pillars of Islam or the eightfold path of, um, of um, Buddha. And they say, hey, I've got it. I'm doing this. God says, no, you're not. And so God says, there are two routes to right standing with me. One route is a route where you try to find God. But if you do that, apart from God's Holy Spirit, you will end up finding your own God of your own making. There's another route. The route where we understand that we are being found by God because he is the great seeker. We are not. Or you can say that, no, what matters most is how zealous I am, how sincere I am. But God says, no, it's not the level of your sincerity that matters. It's the substance behind what you believe and how deeply you believe it. And frankly, for me, I'm not going to put my confidence for eternal life in someone in a cave saying they get revelations from God, or someone under a Bodhi tree thinking he found his way to enlightenment. I am going to base my life on a historical person for whom the record is clear and abundant that he lived on this earth. He died on the cross, and he walked out of a grave never to die again. I'm going with him. There's the requirements. You can find, try to find your righteousness by trying harder or by trusting in the one who gave his all for us. You can try to follow the best and the most recent and contemporary good advice from the culture, or you can trust the good news of the gospel. The ultimate question is, am I going to trust myself or am I going to trust the word of God? As we close today, let's close our eyes.
Because I, I, I hope here in this room, every one of us has accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior. But that may not be true. It may be that some of you have for years been in churches, but frankly, you're really trying to attain your righteousness by the law, by living a good life. Nothing wrong with being a good person. I'm, I'm all for that. But that will not give you right standing with God. So maybe today would be a day you'd like to come to know Jesus as your Savior by faith in Him alone. How do you do that? Well, it says, we saw it today. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. In other words, you've personalized this for yourself. You believe that Jesus was God in the human flesh who came and died on the cross for my sins. And then he was raised from the dead again. And he offered you the gift of his righteousness. If you believe that, I take God at his word. You are saved. You can do that right now if you haven't. And maybe you'd like to. And if you do, tell someone. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we're not a real religious lot here today. I hope not. I thank you for the interest every person here today has had to come here, to be here, to listen to your word. But our prayer, Heavenly Father, is that your Holy Spirit would so work in our lives that we would realize that our righteousness comes from you, not from us. And it is the greatest gift any of us could ever, ever receive. So may you please, Heavenly Father, fill our hearts with your Holy Spirit's assurance that we are your children because of what Jesus has done for us. To that end, we pray in the name of our Savior and our Lord, Jesus. Amen. Well, thank you, please. And would you all stand as we um, leave this place and now enjoy some time together with each other. Um, my benediction is this. May you leave this place today with a, with a sure assurance that God loves you. That Jesus loves you. The Holy Spirit loves you. And that God has brought you here to this place so that you could be under the hearing of the good news. Not good advice, good news. The good news is that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He was raised from the dead. And now we have the privilege of following him. May you go with that. In Jesus' name, amen.